So once again, we come before you and we ask that the singing of these songs would be acceptable as worship to God the Father who sent His Son. And Lord, that you would work in our hearts through each part of the service, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened through your Word. And Lord, that the faith that is talked about here would be lived in our lives through this coming week. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Have the children dismissed to the children's church and toddler's churches at this time. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to continue actually in the same theme as we did last week was faith in the Christmas story. And we talked about the the wise men and the... um, Anna and Simeon and the uh, different characters of uh, the Christmas story. And um, what I'd like for us to do today is to get to the part of the Christmas story, uh, deal with those that were actually there uh, that night when Jesus was born when he was brought into this world. And uh, so the first thing that we're going to talk about tonight as we really, what we're doing is focusing in closer and closer to the center uh, of the story. And so we're going to start with the shepherds and then talk about Joseph and Mary today. And and then, of course, next Sunday, uh, we're going to spend some time uh, on the subject of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, so, uh, let's look at uh, chapter 2 and uh, verse uh, 7. It says, And she, talking about Mary, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, verse 8 is actually one of the pivotal verses here. It's something that we'll skip over if we're not careful in our study. And there came, I mean, and there were in the same country, right there in the same area, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And as we are introduced to the shepherds here, Mary has just given birth in the stable in Bethlehem. Um, And in the same country, there were shepherds. Now, uh, people have criticized the Bible account and they said, well, uh, there is no way that there were shepherds abiding in the field in December uh, uh, of the calendar year, the weather was inclement. Well, wait a minute, we're, we're talking about the land of Israel here. Uh, semi-tropical, close to the, uh, the, the, the flocks were, were kept in the field uh, because they had to eat. Uh, it was not like the United States or, or Europe where you would put your animals in the barn uh, for the winter and feed them hay that you had harvested during the summer. Uh, they would have been taken out to graze quite quite regularly, uh, but again, we have to understand the calendar. Uh, Jesus was not born december twenty fifth uh, that is a tradition and, and uh, we have uh, very little use for for traditions, but this is one tradition where even the world stops 
and acknowledges Christ. So why should we be against this one? Amen? And uh, we uh, should enjoy this time of year. But the shepherds were keeping the flock in the area of Bethlehem. And then we have the angels appearing unto them. Verse 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And it's hard for us to understand this. I mean, uh, if if we get out in the uh, dark, uh, you pull out your cell phone, you turn on your flashlight, right? Uh, I mean, it, we're just not without light today. But imagine no electricity, no batteries, no flashlights. Uh, how many of you have ever been out in the woods and the only light you had was your campfire? Uh, that's, that's pretty cool sometimes. I remember one time years ago we were there, but there was, there was a problem. Uh, the park ranger had stopped by and said, now be careful at night. We have a, a big a she-bear uh, roaming uh, the, the, the park area. And we've set out a trap for her. Could you imagine a live trap for a 600-pound bear? And uh, they caught the bear while we were there. Uh, but uh, I remember one time, one part of the night, my wife woke me up and said, What's that noise? I said, Oh, it's just the ice settling in the chest. She said, But it keeps doing it. So I opened the window and I was standing... Oh, actually about this far off the ground in the inside the old van that we had. And I was looking right into the eyes of a bear holding our cooler chest. Uh, if you think you wouldn't be afraid, uh, live in fantasy land if you want to. Uh, one swipe could have come right through the window and it would have been a very, very bad situation. So what I did was I started up the van. It was an old diesel. And it made so much noise. Uh, I wasn't the only one scared. Uh, that bear took off. But in the dark, when all you have is a little fire or something to give you light or the light of the stars... I, I love to walk in the woods... In the dark, as long as I know where I'm going. It's, it's really a pleasant experience, just walking by the moonlight. But imagine not knowing what a city light was, not knowing what a spotlight was, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, somebody turned on the lights. It was lit up like daylight. And there's a man standing in the air, talking to you. I think sore afraid would be a really good response. Amen? And then the message came to them. It says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. You know, the Lord never misses a chance to kick at the Calvinist. Amen? Uh, just to let us know that it is not according to the way we think, but God so loved the world. Not just the Jewish people, but all the world. It says, 
These are tidings of great joy which shall be to what? To all people. And by the way, there's an inference there. All people of all time. Every human being from Adam and Eve in the garden to the last soul that is born during the millennial kingdom. These tidings of great joy are for everyone. That's what the word all means, doesn't it? And so, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said now one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Now, I want you to hold your finger in Luke chapter 2 because we're coming back and go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. If you were here Thursday night, uh, we went through the book of Hebrews and found the Christmas story all the way through the book of Hebrews. And uh, chapter 1 and verse 6 says, And again, when he bringeth his first begotten into the world, he saith, God is speaking here, let all the angels of God worship him. Now, there are very few times in the Bible where God actually breaks that veil of separation between us and sends heavenly messengers to man. But this time, he emptied heaven's choir loft and filled the atmosphere of this earth. It says, let all the angels of God worship him. It says, a multitude of the heavenly host. Could you imagine the stir? I'm talking about in the realm in which God lives. This is the only time in history where we have something like this going on. If we read Revelation 4 and 5, what is going on in heaven right now and what will be going on in heaven throughout all eternity is God being worshipped and praised. And now for this moment, the courts of heaven fall silent. While the air around Bethlehem is filled with an innumerable multitude of angels singing praise to a little baby in a manger. I just love that thought. I I love to sing the Christmas songs. I love to repeat the song that the angels sang. Glory to God in the highest and on on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Tell you, the only goodwill toward men is that which God gives us. On a sad note, the opposite, if you want to study anything terrible, study the 
wickedness that man has perpetrated upon his fellow man. If you want to know why there's hunger today, it's because of the wickedness of men toward their fellow men. Why little children are hungry. I hear the statistics that there are hundreds of thousands of children here in the United States of America that are going hungry. Let me tell you, that's not because there isn't enough food to feed them. That, that's not because uh, of some unintentional circumstances that they find themselves in. That is because of purposeful choices of wicked men and women who deprive those children of what they could so easily have. How much food could you buy for a pack of cigarettes? I mean, what is it, $10 a pack? Uh, that's enough oatmeal for all, all week. Uh, you're going to get one good meal every day just from one pack of cigarettes. More. It's crazy. But this is the message. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Because it only comes from God. It does not come from fellow man. Amen? And I know that you know this. We, we spend some time here every Christmas. I hope you don't mind going over why the shepherds? I mean, from the time I was a little child, it was always, why the shepherds? And I would ask people and they'd go, uh, well, they were there. Oh, okay. Um, uh, because God wanted to deal with the lowliest of people, he dealt with the shepherds. And uh, actually, what got me started on this Bible study, I was traveling with Brother Clayton uh, two years after I graduated Bible college, so... Uh, this is now uh, 29 or so years ago, almost 30 years ago. Uh, we were in a church Christmas Sunday down in Atlanta, Georgia area, and a preacher preached on this passage. And we're going to turn to the book of Micah, chapter 4, if you would. The book of Micah. Those little prophets, those minor prophets aren't so minor in the Bible. They're, the reason they're called minor is because of the length of their prophecies not because of the lack of important material that is there. And we come down here to verse 8 of chapter 4. And it says in Micah 4, verse 8, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, I, I read some commentaries and different ideas on this thing, and, and it says, oh, it must be talking about the towers in Jerusalem. Well, I'd like you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 35, if you would. And, and, and this is uh, just an illustration of searching through the Scripture so that we can have confidence that, that what we're understanding is correct. Now, Genesis chapter 35... Verse 21, this is uh, Israel. Jacob journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edor. 
Now look at verse 19. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. So, this tower of Eder is in the um, vicinity of Bethlehem. Here in Micah, it's called the Tower of the Flock. And if you look it up in, in, in the notes, it'll, it'll sometimes have the Hebrew there, Mikdal Eder, or the Tower of Eder. It's talking about the same place. This was a place that goes back before the days of Abraham, where they grazed sheep. And there was a tower that was built there. There was a, a place where they could protect the sheep and, and different things. It was well known. It was there before the Can- uh, while the Canaanites were there. It was still well known all the way down to the days when Jesus was born nearly two millennia after Abraham walked that same ground. That's where the shepherds were, just outside Bethlehem. The tower of the flock. The first dominion. They were the ones that got the first news about the born, about the king that was born. Now I make a connection. Uh, it is just something that I happen to to uh, believe. There is some evidence for this. They kept the sacrificial flocks somewhere. Bethlehem was not far from Jerusalem. This was one of the places where they grazed those flocks. Uh, I believe that these were the shepherds that took care of the sacrifices for the temple. And what would be a more fitting announcement to the birth of the sacrifice of the Son of God than to the very people who raised the sacrifices? Someone I read in a... We can't be sure that that happened. Yes, we can't be sure. But I'll tell you what, it sure doesn't violate one passage of Scripture, does it? And it would sure make sense that that would be the reason why the the shepherds were the one that the angels appeared to. They were in the right place. They were doing the right thing. And they obeyed the heavenly revelation. And they went to Bethlehem. How many of you have... uh, We actually at one time had... uh, uh, a manger scene, someone gave it to us and we would set it up and then the hands fell off the shepherds and the ears fell off the donkeys and uh, we glued them back on and they fell off again and we said, ah, let's just forget this whole thing. Uh, but how many mangers were in Bethlehem? Not a lot. Bethlehem was a very small place. Very few people lived there. It was a small town. Now, there were a lot of people in Bethlehem right now because of the taxation. All of the descendants, the in-laws, outlaws, uh, everybody had to come in and register for the taxation. And so Joseph and Mary found them there with uh, the whole family and, and lineage of David. But there weren't many stables there. There weren't many places and so when the angel said he's going to find him in a state in a manger, that was a place where they fed the animals, a feeding dish for the cows or for uh, the different animals that they had. Could you imagine the stir in Bethlehem in the middle of the night as this horde of shepherds come running through the streets 
looking in everybody's stable. And they find one that's got people in it, not animals. Now, again, on Passover, they tell us that they in Jerusalem, in the temple, they would offer over 100,000 sacrifices on Passover. How many mama sheep does it take to get 100,000 lambs that are the right age and the right uh, qualifications? I mean, you're talking about the biggest sheep herd you or I have ever heard of. They would have been kept at different places and, and, and broken up into smaller groups, I'm sure, to be managed by the shepherds. But the sheep were left that night, and it wasn't one shepherd. It wasn't two or three. Uh, I have a feeling it may have been like 40 or 50. Ladies, how many of you like 40 or 50 guys, total strangers you've never met in your life, walking through the maternity ward? And you're the only one there. Uh, That would not have been a superiorly pleasant experience for Mary, I am sure. But these shepherds had a word from God. God gave them a sign. He said, you're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And so they searched through Bethlehem, which did not take long. And they found it. And then began the procession of shepherds to come in and to see this newborn baby lying in a manger. And, of course, Mary and Joseph were nearby. Like the old-time preacher said, he said, I was born in Texas so I could be close to my mother. Uh, uh, Jesus was born there. Mary and Joseph were there. They had no place to go. And their privacy was greatly intruded upon that night because God had revealed to some shepherds at the tower of the flock. And here's what was revealed. Unto thee. This message is for you is born this day, just a few hours old. If you've ever had the privilege of holding a newborn baby. Some of you may remember Ted and Sharon's wedding. The little Esther was born. Just as the organ hit the the cord for the recessional. There she was, upstairs. And uh, my uh, mother-in-law, when she went out, the first place she went, she didn't stop and wait to greet the guests. She ran up to the apartment, check on the baby. And their little Esther was not smiling. Little newborns, they don't smile. They don't do much. Uh, she was up there. And so she called me. And some of you may remember, I, I still had my microphone on uh, like this. And I went up there, and there was little Esther, and I pinched her just a little bit to cry and made her make a little noise and then turned on the mic, and everybody heard, wah, over the speakers down here. And, oh, the baby's been born. Little babies don't do much. But they knew there was something unusual because this baby was born for them, born for you and me. It's still a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says a Savior 
which is Christ the Lord. A Savior is one who saves. The Jewish thought, of course, was their first idea of salvation was being set free from the domination of Rome. Rome was no less cruel a taskmaster than the Egyptians were in the book of Exodus that we're going through in Sunday school. And they dreamed about being set free from the Romans. But Jesus came to set us free from a much more cruel taskmaster than any other human being could be. The, the taskmaster, the slave owner of sin. The market in which each of us have individually sold ourselves. Christ, the Lord. That term, the Lord, means God. These angels knew exactly what they were saying. Don't let anyone tell you that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. Anybody that makes that statement is so woefully ignorant of what the Bible says that we have to believe that their ignorance is, person, uh, is, is purposeful, meaning on purpose. You can't be that dumb. Nobody was born that dumb. You have to willingly change the words of the Scripture in order to deny the deity of Christ. You see, those shepherds looked until they found a baby laying in a manger and they said, this baby is our Savior. This baby is God in the flesh. This little child will save us from our sins, is the answer to all the prophecies, is the Messiah that has come to set us free. The Bible tells us that in Luke chapter 2 and verse 17, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. You know what? All the shepherds had to do was travel the short distance to Bethlehem, start going through the stables where, until they found the manger that had a baby in it. When they found the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, there in the manger, they worshipped. And I believe that they were the priestly shepherds that kept the sacrificial flocks. And God fulfilled this prophecy in Micah chapter 4. And at the tower of the flock where the shepherds would have met and where they would have been headquartered is where the angels came. And it said, let all the angels of God worship Him. Can I make a little application today? You see, the shepherds did not even, even if they were the pre-shepherds that we talk about, did not carry around with them scrolls of the prophets. Uh, the scriptures that they would have relied upon are those that were in their memory and in their heart. And so God had to send the angels to talk to them and to explain to them what was going on. But you and I hold in our hand all of God's revelation given to mankind.
We don't need angels to sing us the story. We just need to take it off the shelf and read it. And no, we're not to go seeking a babe in a manger. We are to serve the risen Lord. Because we have the rest of the story. We have the fact that Jesus came to pay the price for our sins and what He did. And we understand this term Savior so much better than the shepherds did there outside Bethlehem that night. And so my question, first question for us tonight, as we look at, this morning, as we look at faith in the Christmas story, is would you exhibit that same faith that the shepherds did? And just simply take God at His word. If I were to ask you how many of you carry a burden that you're praying about and struggling with in life, every hand would go up. Because we all got things going on. We all have things we're trying to deal with. Life is not the absence of problems. Real life is the ability to deal with those problems in a biblical way, in a way that will bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the essence of true Christianity. Can we say amen to that? The shepherds just simply took God at His Word. Do you remember when you took God at His Word and got saved? No one saved here today? Do you remember that? Amen? Well, let me tell you something. How about the next time we face a problem? Just taking God at His Word. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, Christmas sometimes is the loneliest time of the year. As you get older, uh, I think of so much of my family that's on the other side already. And I I look forward to one day to being together with my mother and father again. And that's not going to happen until the Lord calls us home. And sometimes we're faced with decisions that we have made and and problems that, that we have caused between us and other human beings. You know what? This book has the answers for that, doesn't it? We can't change other people's hearts. But we can take away their excuses for having bitterness and sorrow and even anger and distrust toward us. That's what the Bible tells us we ought to do. Amen? You see, there's a message that deals with every issue you face. All we have to do is take God at His Word. It worked when you got saved. And if you're not saved today, it'll work today. You can leave this place with the knowledge of your eternity being secured by the Savior that was born in Bethlehem's manger, who died on Calvary's cross, who rose again. All we have to do is take God at His Word. By the way, that's what His faith is that used to be on this side. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God that used to be on that side. You see, the shepherds just exercised faith by obeying the revealed Word of God. They had one sentence. 
You and I have the whole book. Amen? As we move closer to the center of the Christmas story, let's go to Matthew chapter 1. And we move from the shepherds to a man named Joseph. Now, there are those that would like to play down Joseph's part in this story. They would like to make Joseph nothing more than an elderly gentleman who took pity on a disadvantaged young woman and gave her his name that they were never married in, in reality more than just a legal agreement. And that is so blasphemous to the things of the Bible. The Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph had at least, it gives us at least five other children that Mary and Joseph had. He had sisters, so if we just take two, and there are three brothers named in the New Testament. Uh, as, uh, and if you want to believe they're cousins, be my guest, but you do the Bible a great injustice. Mary and Joseph were just like any other Young couple living in those days, trying to live for God, just like Elizabeth and Zacharias, only much younger. And the Bible tells us in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, in these few verses is really almost all that we know about Joseph. We know that the espousal, the engagement period, had already Uh, occurred before the angel appeared unto Mary, giving her news that she would have a child. And and, uh, we'll get to Mary in just a few minutes by God's grace. But we have Joseph here being told that he had nothing to fear. Now, I'll tell you, in, in our modern day and time, people really don't hardly care anymore about being married before the child is born. It's just seemingly unimportant. Let me tell you, it is important. If you want to do things God's way, you get married, and then you have a child. 
That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way God ordained it. That as husband and wife, you do not come together until after you say, I do. But when there was a violation, and there's been so much speculation about, well, uh, Mary could have been killed and all of these things and that. Uh, Let me tell you something. The Jewish morality, just as morality does, had devolved to such a situation that they, they were not killing young women for having children out of wedlock but the shame you would bear for your entire life. used to be that way in the United States. It's not anymore. And with only one exception, in all of history, and this was that one exception, how would you like to be Joseph? and be the only exception to this rule in all of history. How much faith would it take you to believe God? Stop and think about it. And Joseph did as the Lord had bidden him. You know, that tells me incredible things about Joseph. Number one, it tells me that Joseph had a close enough walk with God that when God spoke, Joseph was able to listen and he knew to obey. That his trust in God was greater than his trust in his own mind and his own understanding. Because human understanding comes to a point and this does not make sense. Mary had left as soon as the angel had announced to her and went down to Judea to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist, and was there for three months. And when Mary comes back to uh, the land of Nazareth, the city of Nazareth, the whispering started. Mary was known to have been, in everybody's mind, again, the only exception in all of history, Mary was judged unfaithful to her vows that she had pledged an engagement to Joseph. And Joseph, being a just man, saying, I'm going to do things right, was saying, I'm not going to marry this woman because she has been with someone else. And God says, I've chosen Mary to bring forth the Messiah, the child was not out of born out of immorality. The child was born out of God's divine plan. You see, the Jewish wedding, very unlike our wedding, American weddings is all about the bride, isn't it? I mean, it's her dress. I mean, we have to have the groom... Because without a groom, you don't have a marriage. But, I mean, the wedding day. And uh, if you... What goes on on the wedding day is all about the bride. And I always tell the grooms when when we're preparing for the wedding, I said, you want to make this a very special day. 
because the wedding day is her day. The rest of them are yours, but that one's hers. Amen? And and so, but that wasn't the Jewish way of doing things. This was the last step for a man to become an official part of the Jewish community. He would have to grow up. He would have to learn a trade. He would have to uh, uh, support himself. He would have to get a home. And then finally he would get married. And that would be the, the highest accomplishment. He would then be uh, open to holding a position in the synagogue, maybe being elevated as others were to other positions of leadership in the community. The groom planned the wedding feast. The groom planned the day. I mean, I wish we had time this morning to go through all the details. It's an amazing uh, uh, comparison to Jesus coming back for his church. But see, the groom uh, would not tell the bride of the wedding day. He would let his friends know it's going to be this week. And they would tell their friends and they would tell their girlfriends or female acquaintances and the message would get to the bride, it's going to be this week. And so she would begin that expecting, waiting, uh, anticipating part and it would be noise through the community. Uh, I'll bet it's, uh, and knew, they knew it wasn't going to be Friday night because that was the Sabbath. It may be Saturday night right after the Sabbath. It could be any night of the week. And finally, the day would appear and he would tell his friends and they would go through the community. It's going to be tonight. And they would begin, the the, bride, the groom would leave his home and a few friends would gather. And by the time he got to the bride's house in a very small town like Nazareth, half the city would be there gathered at her window. And he would walk in and he would escort the bride out and... And they would go to his home and, and then with the next day would begin the marriage feast and, and the uh, people of the town would be invited and they would have certain days of eating and spending time together. And that was all the groom's responsibility. Joseph gave it all up. He didn't tell anybody. He woke out of his dream. He went to Mary's house. He knocked on the door. And he took her to be his wife. And nobody ever again questioned what happened to Mary because Joseph said, I take her to be my wife. This was God's way of protecting. And the Bible says under the law, Mary was already engaged when the child was conceived. And as... They went to Bethlehem. The Bible tells us that the wise men came, as we learned last week. That was a period of about two years later. They had been back to Nazareth already for a visit, came back to Bethlehem. were still living there two years after the child was born. And Herod is seeking to destroy the child, and God sends the babe into Egypt. It appears to Joseph. Joseph packs up his family, and he leaves that very night and and protects the baby Jesus. And he's there until Herod dies. And then he comes back to Bethlehem, and he hears that Archelaus, his evil son, is ruling. And God warns him again, and he goes back to Nazareth. And that's where Jesus is raised, in total obscurity. You see, 
Joseph was a man of incredible faith. When nothing made sense, he just followed God's direction. Now, God's not going to appear to you in a dream. He's not going to give you mystical messages. Again, because it's all written down. You just take care of what's written down. And God's going to give you the direction that you need to follow Him through this life. And I will promise you, there are times when it makes absolutely no sense. I remember on an August evening in 1996, Brother Clayton, Brother Marshall and I stood right outside this building. We laid our hands on that light post and said, Lord, if you want to give us this building... He said, but I don't see how that's going to happen. They were asking $2.4 million. Uh, we got it for, what was it, $763,204. I'll tell you what. Actually, it was $1.2 million is what it was then. It's two, over $2 million today. Did that make sense? A little church with less than 40 members buying a building? $700,000? Absolutely nuts. In fact, some of the men I respected most in the ministry said, is this really God's will? And I said, well, I have to believe that it is. And I remember the people in our church, they were so sweet. They were going, well, we just believe it's God's will. So that's easy for you. You're a baby Christian. You have no idea what it's going to take. Absolutely, I had no idea what it was going to take. But God sure did. And so it was a little easier to say yes when union came up. And uh, let me tell you, it hasn't been any easier on the other side. But faith to just obey God when nothing else makes sense. Can we do that? Could we ask God to give us faith to just obey His Word? Just a few minutes. So much has been said about Mary over the years. But I, I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, For thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. 
Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, after the shepherds uh, came trooping through the maternity ward there, that she just pondered these things in her heart. And when Simeon and Anna had given their prophecies at, at her purification after uh, uh, the, the birth of Jesus, this would have been about a month after his birth, she kept these things in her heart. How much faith did it take Mary to simply allow God to do with her what He wanted? You know, I've often had people ask questions like, well, what, what, what if God wants me to be a missionary? I said, well, let's not worry about being a missionary until you... Just be faithful in church. Uh, well, what? I, I remember Sarah saying, well, Dad, what if he's ugly? I said, you won't care. And I said, God has a lot better taste than you do. Let me tell you something here. Why do we worry about what God may do to or with us when He knows so much more than we do and when our entire purpose here on earth is simply to bring glory to His name? Would we not far better off to repeat the words of Mary, be it unto me according to thy will? instead of trying to help God figure out what He wants to do with us. Moses had that problem. It took 40 years to get it straightened out. Uh, let me tell you, you don't have 40 years to get it straightened out. Sorry. Uh, we need to express faith in God. How much faith did it take for Mary to stand there and watch Jesus be crucified? Unlike all of the perverted, blasphemous traditions, she did not help Jesus on the cross. Jesus helped her as he looked down to John, the beloved disciple, and said, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. He said, This fellow is going to take care of you from, the day, from this day forward. And Mary just simply, I believe, rested in the words of God. There's nothing divine about Mary, nothing that moved her out of the realm of the human. She was a simple, young Jewish woman that would later give birth to a normal family. As the Bible tells us, it's at least five, maybe seven or eight children. We don't know how many daughters there actually were. But her and Joseph had a normal married relationship after this first one. Because God had a special plan 
He took the God of heaven and wrapped Him in human flesh. Don't tell me how that happened because I don't know. I just believe it by faith. You know what? Could Mary go to Joseph and explain what had happened to her? Absolutely not. If she did, it would sound like she was trying to cover up something wrong that had happened that didn't. You see, that's why God had to go to Joseph and explain, because only God could protect Mary. And if Mary had opened her mouth and said things and tried to defend herself, she would only make herself look like something really wrong had happened. Do you know how much faith it takes to not defend yourself? To let God do what God wants to do? I mean, we love to tell stories about ourselves where we're the hero of the story, don't we? That's human nature. But Mary couldn't say anything. She just simply had to trust in God that all of the details which were far beyond her control. And we don't know what time it was, but it was past the time when people weren't asleep. All of a sudden there came a knock at the door. And I'm sure it was Mary's father who had answered the door and said, Oh, yes, understand completely. And that was their marriage. As Mary left the home and went with Joseph quietly and in the dark of the night when no one knew what happened. And next day, the whole town was buzzing. Oh, Joseph took Mary. Oh, nothing was wrong after all. Okay. And that was it. You see, anything that God does, He requires one thing. Faith. Faith in the shepherds to simply obey the revealed will of God. You have the whole thing. Ask God for faith like the shepherds. Faith of Joseph to trust God when nothing makes sense. The only exception to the rule in all of history, Joseph had to accept. That Mary had not been unfaithful. And he did. And he remained faithful and followed God's direction as he directed him in the raising of this son. Mary's faith. To be willing to wait on God to intervene on her behalf and convince Joseph that everything was exactly the way God intended it to be. How much faith these people had. How little God asks of you and I today to simply believe in the finished work of Jesus and be saved. To simply walk through this life at the direction of what's been written down in this book called the Bible. That when the whole world screams, nothing makes sense, you're crazy, you can't do it that way. Well, I'm just going to obey the Bible. And you know what? It works every time. And to allow God to do what He wants with your life. You see, faith 
is necessary to please God. You must believe that God is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I like to put it this way. You must believe that God is and that God is good. That's what the Bible teaches. And yet, every time something bad happens, we accuse God of making things difficult on us. That's not true. As we deal with trouble and difficulties in this life, the answers are already printed out for us. All we have to do is follow them. I want to challenge you as we celebrate this Christmas time. Would you exercise the faith that the participants in that first Christmas did? God says we can. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. This is the time of our service that we have dedicated to and asking for you to change the way we live. For a time to surrender our hearts and our lives to your word. Lord, that we ask that during these next few moments that decisions would be made that would make a difference for eternity. Lord, that people would be able to settle once and forever the issue of their eternity by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. That as we deal with these situations of life that just perplex us and frustrate us and keep us from doing the things that we think we ought to, that we would surrender to you. That we would just express faith in the written word of God. We ask, Lord, that you would work, that you may be glorified in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as the hymn is sung, the altar's open. Let's make those decisions today that God would have us to do. Let's lay those burdens down.